It's great to be with you this morning. It is opening weekend of Balloon Fiesta. I know we have a lot of guests here who are in town for Balloon Fiesta. And let me just say to you, you honor us and you encourage us by being here to worship with us this morning. We really do appreciate it. Also, you should know that the youth group retreat is going on this weekend. So most of our teens and many adults are up at, up at Ponderosa Camp um, on a youth retreat this weekend. I'd ask you to keep them in your prayers as they travel back for safety, but also that they will come back renewed and that they will renew us with the weekend that they've had up there as they've spent all weekend focused on God and focused on what he has done for them through his son, Jesus Christ. Also, I want to give you a Project 9K update. For those of you who don't know, Project 9K is our Bible reading challenge here at Netherwood Park. We have challenged ourselves to read as many books of the Bible as we possibly can in 2017. And so far to date as a congregation, we have read 3,993 books of the Bible. I don't know why somebody didn't just read like Second Peter seven times or something like that to get us to 4,000. But next week we'll go past that point, I am sure. And the reason that we do have a Bible reading challenge is because we are a church that believes in the power of God's word. We want to encourage everybody to have the discipline of reading their Bible on a regular basis. It's important for us to be immersed in God's Word. It's important for us to know God's Word. We've been determined to be people who not only read and know the Word, but live out the Word. But to live out the Word, we must know the Word. And to know the Word, we must be immersed in the Word. So please continue to read in your Bibles. Also, I want you to know something else about this church. This is a church that is very much a praying church. We believe in the power of prayer. We believe that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And we pray a lot. And we would love to pray for you. So if you have something in your life that you know needs to be lifted up to God or in the life of someone that you know about and care about, that needs to be lifted up to God, we would encourage you to let us know about that so we can lift your prayer request up to God. In front of you, you'll find a green card. This is our communication card. And on one side of it, you'll see that there's a place for you to write your prayer request. If you would write your prayer request and then drop it in one of our collection boxes, you can know that about 400 people will receive that prayer request. They're waiting to pray for you. They're waiting to pray for those that you love. You can find two of the boxes, the collection boxes, in the back of the auditorium. You can find a third one through these double doors. We believe in the power of prayer. Something else you need to know about us, we are a baptizing church. We believe in the power of baptism. We believe that it's in baptism that we join with Jesus Christ in his death, in his burial, and especially in his resurrection. We believe that it's in baptism that we leave behind the old self and put on the new self. We're clothed with Christ. We believe that it's in baptism that we receive the free gift of the Holy Spirit. So if you are here and you believe that Jesus is the Christ and you haven't been baptized, we really should have a conversation about that. We would love to talk to you about that. To start that conversation, all you need to do is turn that green card over, fill out your contact information, check the box that says, I would like to have a conversation with one of the ministers or an elder about baptism, and we will contact you right away, and we'll start that conversation. 
We believe in the power of baptism. We also believe in the power of the church. And we believe in the power of the local church. We know that together we are much stronger than we could ever be alone. If you've been attending Netherwood for a while and you haven't yet let us know that you want to be a part of this church, we'd like to have that conversation with you as well. To have that conversation again, we need to know about your desire to be a part of this church. So if you would just fill out your contact information on the same card and check the box about being a member, identifying with this congregation, we'll contact you right away and we will have that conversation. We believe in the power of the church. Well, last week I started a new sermon series. And over the next weeks, actually probably over the next months, maybe even over the next years, I don't know, we're going to be studying out of the book of Romans. And Romans is such a rich and deep and powerful book that this is one of those series that's going to take some time. And at various times, we'll move away from Romans for a few weeks. We'll address other topics and other things of importance but then we'll always come back to Roman and we'll, Romans and we'll keep doing that until we've gone all the way through this important book. I mentioned last week that Romans is Paul's magnum opus. It's where he most fully and completely and systematically presents the case for Christ. And that's why Romans has been called the gospel according to Paul. It's where Paul does the job that God set him aside for. It's where he proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ. So let me once more encourage you to lend Paul your ears. And today we're going to hear Paul talk about his imperatives. We're going to hear Paul tell us what he must do. What he must do in response to what God has done for him done for him through Jesus Christ. As we get ready to listen to Paul, let's first lift our prayers to God. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. And Father, we know that we were dead in our sins. And Father, we thank you for not leaving us there. Father, thank you for lifting us up, for giving us Jesus' righteousness. Thank you for giving us your Son. And Father, in response to love like that, Father, we must respond. We must respond in love. We must respond in obedience. Father, we must respond in humility. But Father, we must respond. Father, help us to respond, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Well, today we're going to be focusing on the section of scripture that you're going to find in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. Romans 1, verses 8 through 17. So if you have your Bible this morning, this would be a great time to go ahead and turn there. If you don't have your Bible with you this morning, you can find a Bible in the rack in front of you. Again, Romans chapter 1 verses 8 through 17. And in this section of Scripture, Paul makes a statement. One of the most famous statements in the entire Bible. It's a statement of affirmation. 
It's a statement of affirmation of why Paul's life revolves around and is centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we listen to this affirmation, it really explains a lot. It explains why Paul was willing to give up everything. It explains why Paul was willing to suffer anything so that he could spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul said this in verse 16. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? And this week it struck me as I read that statement over and over again that if I'm going to lend Paul my ears and if I'm going to give God my life, I must be able to affirm that that statement doesn't just speak for Paul, but that statement also speaks for me. It's imperative. I must be able to boldly proclaim with my lips and with my life that I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And then I got to thinking some more. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great as a church, as a family, if we this morning could affirm together, if we could hear each other boldly proclaim that we indeed are not ashamed of the gospel? So will you do that with me this morning? Will you join me in affirming boldly, loudly, that you are not ashamed, that we are not ashamed of the gospel? If you're willing to do that, just repeat after me. I'm going to do this in small phrases, and if you would repeat boldly and loudly after me this affirmation. First, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. That's good, but we can be louder and bolder. Because it is the power of God. For the salvation of everyone who believes. believes. And all the church says, Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 1, verse 8. Paul writes, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart, in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now. I had come to you in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among other Gentiles. I am 
obligated. I am obligated to both Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and foolish. That's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Paul's been praying. Paul's been trying. Paul desperately wants to go to Rome to spend time with his brothers and sisters, to spend time with his family, his family that he doesn't even know, but he knows all about. Paul must visit Rome. For Paul, it's imperative that he visit Rome. He must visit Rome to do what God has called him to do, to do what God has set him apart to do. He must visit Rome. As he says, he must visit Rome to impart some spiritual gift to them. And it seems like Paul isn't even sure what that gift might be. He just knows, he absolutely knows that the giving will happen. It'll happen through the power of God. I don't think Paul's talking about a supernatural gift. I don't think he's anticipating bringing them the gift of healing or the gift of speaking in tongues. I think he's simply anticipating bringing them the gift of encouragement. The gift of preaching and teaching. The gift of fellowship. The gift of communion. The spiritual gifts that come when God's children join together. And they join together in Jesus' name. Now, Paul must visit Rome. He must go there to strengthen an already strong church. Paul must visit Rome. He must visit Rome to encourage his faithful brothers and sisters to keep the faith. But Paul also has another reason why it's imperative that he visit Rome. You see, this encourager needs encouragement. This strengthener needs strengthening. The apostle who pours out his life into other people for the sake of the gospel must be refilled. He, too, must be refreshed. Yeah, Paul must go to Rome to encourage, but Paul also must go to Rome to be encouraged. So Paul must go to Rome. He must go there to preach. Paul's one of those guys that just can't hold the good news in. Paul's like Jeremiah. The gospel is in Paul's heart like a fire and it burns in his bones. He can't hold it in. And he can't hold it in because he knows it's harvest time. See, Paul knows that the gospel will bring a harvest. Paul knows this will happen because Paul knows that the good news of Jesus Christ comes with the power of God. Paul must preach because it's harvest time. It's harvest time outside the church and it's harvest time inside the church. I don't know about you, but I find that interesting. See, usually when we think about and when we talk about harvest time, we think about that as being an outside-the-church event. We talk about it in terms of taking the gospel to those who are outside of the church, those who don't know Christ, so they will turn to God in obedience. We talk about the harvest of those lost souls. 
But Paul has a much broader view of the gospel harvest than that. See, Paul fully expects this trip to Rome to bear much fruit outside the church, but also inside the church. See, Paul knows that the good news of Jesus Christ doesn't lose its power when people first obey the gospel. It doesn't lose its power when people hear the gospel and affirm that Jesus is the Christ. It doesn't lose its power when they join with Jesus in baptism. It doesn't lose its power when they come out of the water. The gospel isn't finished. It isn't through bearing fruit. The harvest isn't over. No, the gospel is much more powerful than that. The gospel saves and it keeps on saving. The gospel transforms and it keeps on transforming. The gospel forgives and it keeps on forgiving. The gospel gives strength and it keeps on strengthening. The gospel encourages and it keeps on encouraging. It's always harvest time. So Paul must go to Rome to share the gospel. And when you read Paul's words, you can tell that Paul carries a burden, doesn't he? You can tell that Paul carries the burden of a man who has a very heavy obligation on him. Have you ever been in that situation? Have you ever been in a situation where you've been given something of real value, but it hasn't been given to you to keep, it's been given to you to share? Given to you to share with others, not just kept to yourself. Occasionally, my mom will make cinnamon rolls and send them with me when I go hunting, and she always tells me I have to share those cinnamon rolls, and my temptation is to keep them to myself. It's a heavy burden, but I'm able usually to do it. To give you a more serious example, our elders carry that burden. You recently gave them, you entrusted to them $16,398, and that money was not for them to keep. It wasn't even for them to put in the bank and keep it there. That money was given to them by you to share with the hurricane victims in South Texas. And when the elders accepted that money from you, they were burdened. They were in debt. They were obligated to you to pass off the funds to others for their benefit. The elder's debt is to you, but the payment that they make is to South Texas. Paul's in that same place. He's been given the gospel. Certainly it's been to his benefit, but he's been given the gospel to share. His debt is to God because he's been given something invaluable. He's been given eternal life by God. But his payment is to mankind. As he says, he's obligated. He's in debt to share the gospel with Greeks and non-Greeks, with the wise and the foolish, with all mankind. So Paul must go to Rome And he must share the gospel because it's his obligation to share. 
But Paul's imperatives don't even end there. There's something else that Paul must do. He must not only share the gospel, he must honor the gospel. As we continue reading in verse 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And there's those words again. I am not ashamed of the gospel. And I don't know about you, but that has always sounded a little strange to me. Why would Paul think it was necessary to proclaim that he isn't ashamed of the gospel? Now, we know that Jesus dying on the cross was scandalous. The Savior of the world dying a criminal's death on the cross was shocking, and that could be considered shameful. But I don't think that's what Paul is talking about when he vows to have no shame in the gospel. See, I don't think Paul's talking about being ashamed of the way that Jesus died. Instead, I think he's talking about being ashamed of why Jesus had to die. Let me ask you a question. What if Jesus had left Paul right where he found him on that road to Damascus? What if the light flashed from heaven and Paul fell to the ground and he heard Jesus' voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And what if Paul had said, who are you, Lord? And Jesus had replied, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. What if all that happened and then Jesus just left Paul where he found him? Face down in the dirt, accused Judged guilty, but with no path forward. Imagine Paul's shame to realize he had been persecuting Jesus Christ and persecuting his church and persecuting his people with no path forward. But Jesus didn't come to condemn Paul. He came to call Paul. Jesus didn't come to shame Paul. He came to save Paul. And Paul says, there's no shame in that. He says, I won't be ashamed that I'm completely dependent on God's free gift of salvation. I won't be ashamed. I won't be ashamed of what God has done for me. And Paul says, I won't be ashamed that my sinfulness, my guilt required the very Son of God to die in my place. I won't be ashamed that my God loves me that much. And Paul says, I won't be ashamed that I'm not righteous enough, that I'm not good enough. Paul says, I won't be ashamed that my righteousness doesn't come from me, it comes from my God alone. And Paul also says, I won't be ashamed 
I won't be ashamed of the life that I'm going to live from here on out. I won't be ashamed to live a life of service, a life of suffering. I won't be ashamed to live like a slave. I won't be ashamed to live like Jesus did. You see, Paul's guilty, but he's not ashamed. Shame is defeat. But the gospel is victory. Shame is weakness, but the gospel is power. Shame causes you to hide and avoid and lie. But Paul is bold and open and honest. He's bold and open and honest because of the gospel. He's bold and open and honest about who he is and what he has done. But he's also bold and open and honest about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for him and for the world. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. He won't be ashamed. You see, where there could be shame, instead for Paul there's pride, there's honor that he's been called to serve the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, I will honor the gospel because it is the power of God working on my behalf. Because it's the power of God working for me, not against me. And Paul says, I will honor the gospel because it and it alone has the power to reconcile me to God, to save me from my sin. Paul says, I will honor the gospel because it has the power to make me righteous. What I can't do on my own, the gospel does for me. I've received God's righteousness because of what Jesus did, not because of anything that I have done or anything I will do. And Paul also honors the gospel Because he recognizes that the power of the gospel is unlimited. He recognizes it's not just for him. And it's not just for the Jews. And it isn't just for the wise. And it isn't just for the educated. The gospel is for everyone. And its power is for anyone. Anyone who believes. Okay, let's be honest for a moment. Some of us get a little nervous when Paul talks like that, don't we? When Paul says the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. When he says the gospel reveals a righteousness from God that is by faith from first to last. We get a little nervous because that sounds like maybe that's just a little too easy. Maybe that's just a little too cheap. Salvation for everyone who believes? Righteousness for everyone who has faith, that can make us nervous. But it's exactly what Paul says. He affirms that salvation is a free gift to everyone who believes in the power of the gospel. He affirms that righteousness is a free gift to everyone who has faith in the power of the gospel. Salvation and righteousness are free gifts. But Paul also affirms that they aren't easy. And they certainly aren't cheap. 
You see, the problem isn't that salvation and righteousness are cheap. The problem so often in the church today is that we have cheapened the meaning and the practice of belief. We've cheapened the meaning and practice of faith. You see, when Paul affirms that salvation and righteousness are for everyone who believes and has faith, he's talking about belief and faith that mirrors his own belief and faith in the gospel. See, Paul's placed his faith and his belief in Jesus Christ. He's placed his belief and faith in the divine king, and there's nothing cheap about it. See, Paul carries this burden. He carries this obligation of absolute obedience to his king, and there's nothing cheap about it. And because Jesus didn't leave Paul where he found him, Paul has chosen the path that was offered him. He's chosen the path of obedience. He's chosen the path of a slave. There's nothing cheap about it. Now, salvation and righteousness are free, but they're free to obedient and faithful slaves. There's nothing cheap about it. Paul's not ashamed. He's not ashamed of that gospel. And he's not ashamed to be an obedient slave. An obedient slave of Jesus Christ, who is the king. There's nothing cheap about it. And how about us? You know, it'd be easy for us just to come together and marvel at Paul. Marvel at his life and marvel at his teachings. Marvel at his imperatives, his burden that he carries, the burden to spread the gospel, the burden that burns in his bones. So the question for us, are we just going to marvel at Paul? Or are we going to lend him our ears and adopt his imperatives? Adopt his imperatives as our very own. What must we do? So I want to end by giving you some what ifs to consider. What if? What if we as a church... Every single one of us came together every Sunday with the same attitude that Paul had as he looked forward to going to Rome. What if we always came together expecting to receive some spiritual gift? What if we always came together expecting to receive strength, expecting to receive encouragement from being together, being together in Jesus' name? And what if, what if we not only came together expecting to receive some spiritual gift, what if we also came together expecting to give some spiritual gift? If we came expecting to strengthen others, if we came expecting to encourage others as we meet together in Jesus' name, what if... And what if we adopted the attitude of Paul and we saw ourselves for who we really are? What if each and every one of us saw ourselves as these great debtors that we are? 
great debtors to our God for our salvation and great debtors to our neighbors. What if we all carried that burden? What if we all carried the burden to share the gospel with others? What if it burned deep within us? What if every time we came together and were strengthened and encouraged, and every time we came together and we gave strength and encouragement, then we left here with that burden? We left with an obligation, with a burning desire to share the good news of Jesus Christ. What if? And what if we lived our lives like Paul lived his life? Where we didn't just have faith, but we actually lived out our faith. Lived out our faith in confidence in the power of the gospel. What if? What if we had such a faith that we willingly chose to live like slaves? With complete confidence in the love and mercy and power of our master. What if? And why not? Let's pray. Father, we want to live like Paul lived. Father, we want to respond like Paul responded. Father, you didn't leave us where you found us. You didn't leave us in our sin. You didn't leave us in our shame. Father, you have called us to live in confidence and live in power. And Father, you have called us together to strengthen and encourage each other. Father, you have called us to carry the burden of sharing the gospel to those around us. And Father, you have called us to live in the confidence of the gospel where there is no shame. Father, strengthen us and encourage us so we will lead those lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're about to end, and as we end, I want to invite and encourage you to do three things. Just three things. Number one, I want to encourage you and invite you to Always come here to this place, to always come together in anticipation. In anticipation of being strengthened and encouraged, and in anticipation of strengthening and encouraging. And number two, I want to invite and encourage you to leave here and go. Go to the world around you. Repay your obligation to your neighbors by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And number three, I want to invite you and encourage you to always live in confidence in the power of the gospel. For we are not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Brothers and sisters, there is power in the gospel. There's power in Jesus' blood. So as we end, let's stand and sing with power and confidence, and then let's go and live with power and confidence. Let's stand.
Let's sing.